All right, we're starting a new series. So this is, uh, this is a series for the whole year. Um, God answers or Jesus answers the big questions of life. Um, it's important that we set a theme for a year because that theme sort of governs our whole thought for the year. It explains to us or directs us as we're going through the year and gives us a little bit of an idea of what to do and how to do it. Um, and we wait for God to give us that theme so that he, he knows the direction he wants us to take and he, he helps us to set that, that, that theme. So the theme is uh, that Jesus answers the big questions of life. Now, big questions are encountered through every part of our lives. Um, the baby uh, asks the big question even though they can't talk and they ask the question, what is that can I eat it? And if you take little um, Adeline and you look at her, everything goes in her mouth. She's asking the question, what is it? And she discovers what it is by putting it in her mouth. Whether she likes it or she doesn't like it, she takes it out. That's the big question for a, a child, for a little, little uh, infant who's in control here. So if you came here early today, you would have seen Daisy uh, expressing some level of control, wanting to stand up in the front and sing with her mother and father at the front and she wasn't allowed to do that and so there were some manifestations of a different kind before the church began. I wondered whether what, that what you could feel in the place when you walked in. Um, but there's a, a big question, who's in control? And little ones, two-year-olds two always ask that sort of question without asking that question. I've heard little children say, I'm the boss, I'm the one in control, do what I say. I've heard them say that to their parents and the parents go away and do what the child says. Elementary kids, they ask the big question, what can I do? Why can't I do that? You know, because you're too young to drive the car. You can't do that. Just, I can drive it. I can drive it back and up and down the driveway. I used to drive the car. Mum and Mum's Morris up and down the driveway. The big test for us was to see if I could get into fourth gear by the time I hit the garage door. <laughs> you know, but we could do these things because we knew how. We could drive. I think Liz used to drive around the, the farm when you were a kid, weren't you? Because you can do them. We ask the question, why can't I do it? You know? Adolescents asking that question, who am I? And what do I believe? I know what you, you believe, mum and dad, but I, I don't know what I believe. And so that's the big question for an adolescent. An adult, whose am I? They usually get to this time of life where they want to connect with somebody and, and who do I belong to and who belongs to me and, 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 what, and where do we belong together? You know, so it's a level of intimacy they're asking those questions. The uh, midlife adult says, what have I achieved? In life, usually looking back over his life and saying, well, you know, my visions, my dreams, what have I achieved? And of course, the senior said, that's where I live, where am I going when I die? <laughs> we get to that point. We're always asking big questions. That's just part of life. Part of life is asking the big questions. So when we come to the Word of God, the Word of God answers big questions for us in three categories. And I want to talk to you about these three categories and then talk about how we're going to handle some of them during the year. There are doctrinal questions that are asked in the Word of God that relate to absolute truth. Like um, they, the, the Bible asks the question or makes the statement which answers the question for your life and it's a, a doctrine of absolute truth. And you'd see like Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of God. He came to save you from your sins. These are absolute truths. And um, there are ethical questions in relationship to the application of those doctrines to our life. What does that mean for me? If I, if I give my life to Jesus, what ethical responsibility is going to be carried out in my life because of that? So 
Those questions will be answered in the Word of God as well. And there are two other kinds of questions that are answered in the Word of God, which we're going to be focusing on this year. They're called apologetic. Turn to your neighbour and be say apologetic. Say it again, apologetic. Why don't you get it used to it? It's not apologise, it's apologetic. And then polemic. Turn to your neighbour and say polemic. So there's two kinds of questions, apologetic questions and polemic questions that are that are in relationship to the defense of the truth when you come to the word of God. So when we talk about apologetic questions, they have to do with giving a defense for the faith to those who are criticizing or undermining the faith from outside the church. Questions like, is there a God? Am I created or evolved? Um, Is God knowable? Can I know God or is he distant and unknowable? Uh, What's the meaning of my life? What's the meaning of life? That, what you'd say, are apologetic questions. The answer to those questions are found in the Word of God. And if you can answer questions that are apologetics, if people come up and say, no, I think think what they're saying is true, evolution is a fact and, and we've evolved, you know. And if you can bring an answer to the person who's saying that, that is based upon the Word of God, and the truth of God's word that changes their frame of mind, then you're doing the work of God. That's an apologetic answer to an apologetic question. So this year, what we're going to do is I'm going to, and I'm in the process of writing them now, I'm going to write some courses on apologetic questions. And then we will run those courses um, for you to actually, they're going to be a little bit meaty, so you have to make your mind up whether you want to come along to have a little bit of meat, but we're going to have a little bit of meat for people who like meat. And we're going to teach you how to answer some of the really difficult questions that are being fired at the church in terms of your basic faith and your belief. And we want to be able to give you the answers for those that you are interfacing with who maybe have been told a whole lot of lies about Christendom and a whole lot of lies about the Word of God. A polemic question is a little bit different to an apologetic question. A polemic question has to do with the defense of the word of God within the church as such. So someone may come and say, there is no free will. Nobody has any free will. You know, we're all uh, predestined according to hell or to heaven, according to God. And you don't have a choice in the matter. It's just, you know, whatever it is. And that may cause great disheartenment for people if they hear that. So you need a polemic. You need an argument to answer that question, does man have a free will? Is he just bound for heaven or bound to hell and there's nothing he can do about it? Or does the Bible teach that man can choose? The role of women in the church. You know, women shouldn't say a word in the church. They should sit down and say nothing in church. We suffer not women to teach or to usurp authority over men. Women should shut up and be quiet in church, you know. And that we need a polemic to actually answer the question, this, is there a role for women to take public ministry in the church? And we need to be able to argue that through the word of God within the context of the church. What does the Bible teach about ownership? Do we have ownership? Or does it all belong to God? They're important questions and they have to do with what the Bible teaches and they have to do not with regard to defend your faith outside of the church but defending your faith within the church in the context of the word of God. So there's lots of big questions out there. And Jesus answers the big questions. 
But the problem is, is anybody asking big questions anymore? So I sat down and I thought about this. I said, God, you know, you're asking me to preach on something that I don't even think people are doing any longer. Once upon a time, we used to think things through quite well. We used to sit down and say, what is the meaning of life? What have I been born for? What did God cause breath to come into my lungs for? Why do I inhabit the space in which I live? They were big questions. What has God got for me to do in life? What is the call of God on my life? That was a big question. But is anybody asking those questions today? We used to say, oh God, I need to know, am I convinced, am I completely convinced that you created all things? And can I really believe that? Or have I just been fed it so often and so long with so many people around me saying, look, evolution is a fact. I don't know why you're arguing. You know, the science is in. Get it over. Just forget it. You're believing a myth. It's just a myth. Accept it's just a myth and get on with your life. You're fabricating a belief of God just to soothe your own sense of self. Is anybody really asking the hard questions anymore? You see, we say, oh, it's too, too uncomfortable, Mark, to think that deeply about anything. Why would I rather play my iPod and dance around while I'm getting fit and show my booty to somebody and say, look at it, whoa, do you like it? Well, that's a whole lot easier for me to do than to think about what God intended for my life. Well, it costs too much. You know, if I want to sit down and think about something really meaty, Mark, I'm going to have to stop what I'm doing. I might have to shut the door on Friday night and not go out and party. I might have to sit down and think about reading the Word of God so that I can begin, my mind can start to think because it's stopped thinking. It's just reacting to sensation now. It costs too much. I'd lose my friends. I'd probably have to buy a book. I'm not spending my money on a book. Some of us say, you know, Mark, I'd like to think deeply about things, but you know, the bills have got to be paid. The, the electricity bill's coming in. The rates bill is coming in. I've got to head off to work. I've got to do my chores. I've got to do what I have to do because I've got to get the money in because the money's going to pay the bills. You know, I'd like to spend time on a mountain with my head in a book to try and discover some big question and philosophize about life. But you know what? I've got to live life. And living life takes time and energy. I don't have time or energy to think too deeply about these things. I just take it, you know. I'm not thinking anymore about it. And then there's the really bad one. I just don't care. Turn to your neighbour and say, I just don't care. Yeah, is that hard for you to say? Because if it is hard for you to say, that's a good thing. Because... To say, I just don't care about these things any longer is to say, I am not even going to engage my mind any longer. I've decided that my life will be a fleshly life lived on response to sensual things and all I want to do is live and have fun and I don't care about anything else. Dangerous stuff. 
So this year, we're going to ask some big questions. This year, we're going to take the WordWise program that we're reading through. We as a church love reading through the WordWise program. And some of you have dropped it and most of you have kept it up. That's great. Keep it up. Keep reading the Word of God. We are going to be a church that loves the Word of God. Amen? Turn to the person beside you and say, you will love God's Word. Even more than you love it today. Because Jesus is answering the big questions. And that's fantastic. So this is the way the the questions get answered. They start off with Jesus raises the big question in your life through his word. So you might go to his word and you might read something and then it puzzles you. You look at it and you say, wow, the implications of that verse has... It kind of makes me a bit scared. I remember when the, God called me into the ministry. I, I went home at night time. I opened my Bible and I'd been at the pizza hut with my mates eating pizza on a Sunday night after church. We'd got all emotionally stirred up in a congregational setting and we wondered about our lives and what we're going to do with our lives. I read the scriptures when I came home from, and I said, oh, I didn't, want the, I didn't like the feel I got from that passage of scripture. I thought I'd just close the Bible, let it down, I'll go to bed and I'll sleep on it. When I woke up and it just brewed a little bit more, I opened the Bible and bang, it hits me again. The big question. Mark, will you preach for me even if people hate you? That was a hard question. That was a question that God asked me on the 7th of March, 1977. And the answer to that question, when I gave it back to God, Changed my life completely in a moment. That's why I'm here now, standing before you. Because the word of God comes into your life and it raises a question and you have to answer the question. And some of those questions are huge. Jesus raises questions, the big questions in our hearts when we encounter God's creation and when we live in society. You, you can go out into the wide wonders and look in the world and say, well, this is just massive. And then the question, who made this, comes up. How has it sustained, comes up. It's just an awful question that you have to answer. It just won't go away. Or you might plummet into society and walk around society and see brokenness on the left and hand and, and you look at it and say, what is going on in this society? In which, what is the mess that is happening here? Surely there could be a different way. Questions that are raised when you're in facing God's creation and facing society. God raises questions and then Jesus answers the big questions that he raises in your spirit through his word. So we discover the answer to those questions as we encounter God's word and as we get to know Jesus a bit better. So he draws us. I mean, he never does, he never puts it right out there in front of you and says, well, you know, you know, here is all the answers to all the questions that you could ever ask. Give it an Emmanuel and there it is. Well, it does in a sense because all the, all the big questions can be answered through the word of God. But they're not easily come by without you doing something about it. If you have decided in your life to make no effort in your life, then you will ask no questions and the people will tell you the answers. 
One of the other things I think that happens in our society is too, we tell so many people so many answers, so you don't even get a chance to even ask the question because you're told the answer before it even comes. You're, you, if, you, if you're addicted to media and to, 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 to TV and everything, they answer so many questions, you know. All this climate change that's happening out, what is the reason of this? Oh, we know it's a man thing, man-made thing. That's what's happening. Could it be that God is judging the nations with weather that's horrific because he said he would? That's what he would, in his word, he said he would judge the nations, he would bring famine, he would bring weather. Oh, yeah, but it's just man-made, is it? Is it? Have you asked the question? Have you done a study? Have you, have you asked God what's going on here? Or do you just want to sit down and get all the answers from the media because it's just pumping the truth every time it opens its mouth? We need to be independent of world thinking. You need to think independently of a society that is heading to hell. You need to have God's thoughts, not your thoughts on the issue. So you need to ask the question. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, in our reading this week, we've, we started on Luke chapter 16. And then for the next three weeks, so we're going to talk about Luke chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19, and 20, and a little bit of 21. I'm going to sneak a bit of 21 in first. The, the, and the thing that I noticed, that there are lots and lots of questions. I, I sat down with Luke 16 and Luke 17 at the beginning of the week and I put a dot in the side of my Bible because I mark my Bibles all the time. When I'm reading, I mark and make marks over them and I give them away and I have to start all over again. So it's a good thing, marking your Bible. You keep, just keep up with where you're wondering. And I put a dot beside all the big thoughts that were raised. And I got Luke 16 and Luke 17. And there were so many big thoughts there. I thought, which one am I going to actually talk about? I mean, what do I talk about? And, and I chose this one. Whose stuff is it? Whose stuff is it? What am I talking about? <laughs> that stuff. That's the stuff I'm talking about. Whose stuff is it? Material stuff. Materialism. The stuff that you own. Who does it really belong to? I noticed in Luke chapter 16 that he starts the whole of Luke chapter 16 with a, with a, a parable about a, a steward that was not doing the right thing. And I asked the question when I read it, and I'll read it to you, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So the steward is wasting his master's goods. So he called him and said to him, what is it I hear about you? Give me an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be my steward. Now, if you want to look at the whole passage, it's one of the most difficult uh, uh, parables that you could read because it has some very conflicting ideas coming through it. And so if you're asking the big question, the big point of that particular passage, it's going to cause you some difficulty because you'll find there's a number of different ideas that come through. But we're not going to go very deeply in this because we want to look at it a little bit more superficially and just get some general ideas about what this is saying. So when you had first encountered this, you would get this idea that then that there's a steward who is meant to be managing a rich man's 
product, post, uh, goods. Of course, in all parables, there's a type, and the type is the rich man is God, and the steward is the person who's given the responsibility of handling God's goods. The application is us. Of course, the implication is that everything belongs to God and you are the manager of it. Only the manager. You don't own it. It doesn't belong to you. In fact, someone's got his eye on it and he's asking the question, how are you managing my stuff? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not mine, it's God's. Some of you need to let that soak a little bit into your bones because the way you live, it is obviously yours even though you read that God says it's his. The way you think and the way you respond is that you have complete ownership of a thing and that really God has a portion or a little bit that you can set aside for him, but really... It is all yours unless you set aside a little bit for God. Now, the ideas or the principles of stewardship that come through in this passage of Scripture, and we're not going to deal with the parable per se. You can do that yourself. It's found in verse 10. He says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And so God is watching how you are faithful in the little things. Remember we learned last week from uh, Cheryl that being faithful in little things is a big thing. So this idea that God is actually bringing us to an account of faithfulness in little things is noticed by God. You say, oh, well, it's so small a thing, it shouldn't matter. But a small thing always matters to someone. And in the end of the exercise... Everything matters to God. So your attitude about the small things in life, and it may only be a small thing, your attitude in the small things in life is reflected in how God sees you will handle a bigger thing. So if you are faithful in the little things and you are steadfast in the little things and you do the right thing in the little things, then God says, I can trust you then with the little things. I can then bestow upon you bigger things and let you do bigger things because you are faithful in the little things. He's looking at our character to see what's going on. Everything is a test of priority, whether we are putting God first in the things that we need to. And putting God first in the things that we need to is a winning attitude. The second thing that we learn from this parable is, he says in verse 11 and 12, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? In verse 12 it says, And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And so he's saying to us there, he's saying, Look, if it is mine that I'm... that I." that everything that you own is belonging to me, and you can't be faithful in the stuff that is, that is mine, how can you even think that you will be faithful if I give you something in yours? Because the idea is, if it belongs to somebody else, we should take more care of it than if it belongs to us. If I lend you my car and I say, please bring it back, you are very careful how you drive that car because you don't want to scratch it, you know? You borrow the car and you, maybe you'll fill it up with petrol again. Some of you might, some of you might not. 
some of my, you might think, oh, well, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Jesus. And not fill it back up again. But my, some of you might think, oh, be faithful and then fill it back up again. And, uh, and then you bring it back. But if it's your car, you might think, you know, oh, well, you know. So I run into a tree with the back of it. Who cares? You know, I'll fix it. But if, you, if it was my car that you backed into the tree, the feeling would have been a bit worse. So God's saying to you, look, if, I, if you recognize that you're dealing with my gear and you're thinking about this thing through and you're, you're, you're conscious of that, he says, and you're, and you're careful with what you have, then he says, I can entrust you with stuff for yourself because you'll have a right attitude there as well. There's no small thing where it doesn't matter. Everything matters to someone. And the third thing, he says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or, he, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is another word for money. You can't serve God and stuff. You've got one master. You can only have one master. God is your master or your stuff is your master. You can only serve one. That's the big question. Who does my stuff belong to? Not you, it belongs to God. All right, let's have a look at that and see if we can tease that out today and let's see if we can make ourselves feel completely useless in the process of looking at our lives. Because that's what usually happens. When we are confronted on a big thing, we usually get so bed down with it and say, oh, I've been thinking that it was my gear all on there. You're telling it's not my gear. Oh, I'm going into self-destruct mode now. Well, don't do that. We don't want you to self-destruct. We want you to change. Uh, the whole purpose of actually teaching through the big questions of life is to confront lies that have bound us up, to confront ideas that have undone us for so long. And to set in motion in our lives a different way of thinking, a different way of responding that is God-glorifying, that enables God to use us in a greater way this year. Amen? I want to be used by God in a better way. So here's some confirmations of, of passages that let us know quite clearly from the very beginning that we really don't own anything and that we are told to forsake all. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 is a common passage of Scripture. Now great multitudes went with him. And when Jesus got great multitudes following him, he always said some very radical stuff to shake the loose people away. He said things that would confront people's minds so that they would, if they were just following him because it was nice to follow him, they would stop following him. They would only follow him because they felt that he had the words of life. He wasn't interested in nandy-pandy, easy believism. He wanted people who were really keen to know the truth. And so he'd tell them the truth just as hard as it came. So now great multitudes would come around him and he turned to them and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Now you want to just chew that one over a couple of years and let that one melt down into your spirit. What does that actually mean? What is Jesus saying there? What does he say? I have to hate my mother and my mother and my father. Here they sit. I'm to hate them. I'm to hate them. My wife is here. I'm to hate her. And my grandchildren, I am to hate them. 
Yet even my own life I am to hate. What is Jesus saying to us? What is he proposing to us? It's quite simply saying, you should have no one in between me and you, Mark. It's you and me, and we've got to be there. Yes, you can honor your mother and father, but if your mother and father want to step in between you and me, you need to have more love for me than you would for them. Your love for them would be as hate is compared to your love for me. No one can stand in between us. Well, that's a pretty dynamic sort of statement of love and commitment, isn't it? Can you imagine that, that God would want to love and commitment in such a way that it was the strongest thing that would, would bind our whole life together, that it would be stronger than any physical relationship, any other relationship? Well, I've got a, a girlfriend and I'm just really attached to the girl. God says, I want you to do something different to this and not be doing what you're doing with her. Oh, but I like it. And she likes it too. And everybody does it, so why is it wrong? Because I say it's wrong, says God. That's why you shouldn't do it. Now listen to me. Love me more than she. Now this is radical. This is radical teaching. But it's what the Word of God is teaching us about you and his relationship to you. He says... He tells them a couple of parables. He tells them a couple of stories. He said, if you're going to go and build a, a house, you know, you've got to make sure you've got enough money in the bank to, to finish the house, otherwise people are going to laugh. If you're going to go to war with somebody, you've got to make sure you've got you enough troops to, to beat the other. Because if you go and your troops are not going to beat the other troops, well, you're going to be a laughing stock. Since you've got to count the cost before you even start in this walk with me. So when we're talking about stuff, Stuff is not persons, stuff is material stuff. And in verse 36 it says, Likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. So he extends it and broadly says, this is, this is bigger than your relationships, the most important relationships in your life. I'm talking about being in a relationship with you that is so important that it, it outshines every human relationship you have and all the stuff that you have. In the end of the exercise, if I ask you to get up and go to China to be a missionary, which means you leave your, all your family and leave all your stuff and go and follow me to a place where they'll martyr you in the, martyr, martyr you in the next two years, Will you do it for me? Well, I'll stay at home and I'll raise money. Sacrifice, sacrifice. I don't want sacrifice, he says. I want obedience. Will you give me that sort of obedience? He says, there is no stuff or no person that can stand between you and I. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, we had the Corinthian guys and girls traveling up to a brothel on the top of a hill and do some religious prostitution. That's what was going on. The guys thought, you know, they'd go to church on Sunday. Hello, Jesus. Lovely to see you. On Monday, go up to the brothel. Hello. How you going? And come back to church on Sunday. Wash it clean again. And Paul wants to talk to them and say, this is not on. He says, because you're failing to understand something about you. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Okay, everybody say, I am not my own. Now let me say it like you're really convinced of it. I am not my own. 
you don't have jurisdiction over you. That's what he's saying. He's told us if you join yourself with a prostitute, you become one with her, you're married to her. In the verse previous, he says then, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's, which belong to God. So does your body belong to God? Does your spirit belong to God? Then everything your body possesses and everything your spirit possesses must also belong to It's all his. Oh, dear. This is horrible teaching, Mark. It makes my life uncomfortable. Yes, it should make your life uncomfortable because there are certain implications when it comes to that truth. And we want to look at the implications of all the stuff belonging to God. You think I'm going to bring out the um, offering bag? Oh, there it is. <laughs> you think, you think, am I? Look at that. You haven't seen one of those? Do you know what one of those are? Have you seen this before? You've never seen these before, have you? I know what they are. This is what they are. Hello. Hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. Good to meet you too. <laughs> no, they're not Muppets. They're, 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 uh, they're things to collect coins and monies and notes and things. You want me to hand them around? I'd preach a sermon like this and hand them around, eh? That's when it becomes uncomfortable, isn't it? Because the implications of what I'm about to tell you go much further than that. Because that's easy. I can, I, oh, I can just save a little bit and give it to God on the Sunday and, be, and we don't even use these things. We've got a box in the back. We're not even looking who's given. <laughs> you get it easy. Really. But the implication of God owning you and owning all your stuff is very, very great. So let's have a look at what those implications might be. Well, the first one is, I don't love things and use people. I love people and use things. That would be the first implication. Did you get that? Read it with me. I don't love things and use people. I love people and use things. The implication of everything belongs to God. I love God and I use things. And I love people and I use things. So the word of God tells us in John, 1 John chapter 2.15, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So I want you to get that, that you either belong to the world and you love the things of the world or... You belong to God and you don't love the world and the love of the Father is in you. You see? Simple. It's a bit all or nothing. Not half and half, bit all or nothing there. You either love God and you love him and he owns everything or you don't love him, you love the world and you're in the world. And he goes on and says, for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You know what that is, don't you? Lust of the flesh. Oh, I feel so good. Lust of the eyes. Oh, I want one of those. Pride of life. You know, if you are, were as smart as me, you've seen it all. You've been there. You've done that. He says, and this is the stuff that is in the world. It's not of the Father. It's of the world. 
And the world is passing away and the lust thereof. And he who does the will of the God abides forever. So the first thing is that you're going to love thing. You, you don't love things you, and use people that you love people and use things. It's going to make a difference in the way that you think about your stuff. A lot of you want to get that stuff because you love that stuff. And when you got it, have you seen my new stuff? And you, oh, I love it so much. This, I just love this stuff. Uh-huh, this is a very, very temporal view. That stuff is really good. One of the things that um, we're coming home from the, um, New Zealand. So we're in the plane. And you get an opportunity three hours in the plane to watch a movie. And so they've got a little screen in front of your seat there and you can select your movie. I thought, oh, well, I'll watch your movie. And then these are the ones that are going to cost you. $10 and you can have whatever movies you like. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to pay any money for a movie. Where, where, what is this place? You know, I mean, movies should be free. So I keep on searching around and it says, oh, these are the free movies. All the movies that you wouldn't watch anyway. All the documentaries that you're not interested in. But there was one there and I thought, well, I'll just watch that. And it was, about, it was called When the Inspector Comes to Visit. Have you, who's seen that? Oh, you haven't? When the Inspector Comes to Visit. Well, I thought it was quite brilliant. Did you, Jen, did you like it? It was good, wasn't it? It wasn't what I was expecting, but then uh, when God actually leads you, it's quite good. Do you want to know the story behind the Inspector's Visit? Well, here it is in a nutshell. Hey? You might never see it, but if you get an opportunity, I, I say, do it. So there's a family, and they're celebrating the engagement of this young man to this woman. It's said in about the 18th century or 19th century, early, early industries, revolution-type period. You know, the factories are up, workers, but workers are paid very, very little. And the, this guy's a well-to-do man. He's very wealthy. He has a daughter who is going to marry the son. The, the amalgamation of the families is going to produce an empire that's huge. You know, and the whole family's sitting there, celebrating the engagement of this couple. And there's a knock on the door. And it's Inspector. And Inspector Gill comes in and he says, there's been a death and I just want to ask some questions. There's a young woman who just uh, drank some detergent or something and she's died and she left a diary. So I just want to ask some questions. Now, unbeknown to each person in the family, each person in the family has treated this person with great unkindness at different times. The woman's changed the name a couple of times, but each person in the family met the woman at a different stage, and each one contributed to her life of misery. The scene opens with the, the father saying, you know, just have to live for yourself, get your life together and do what you have to do for your family and keep your whole life together. That's the sort of basis of what you start. And then this man comes in and starts talking about it. This woman was employed by this man. And she was standing up for woman, workers' rights and she wanted to raise the shillings and they all went out on strike. He just hang on and wait until they all got very, very hungry. They all came back and then he sacked the woman. So that was the beginning of her heartbreak. She ended up in another job and she was working in a shop and the daughter comes into the house, into the shop and she's had a fight with her mother and she looks at the girl. She doesn't like the girl because the little girl's pretty and she's not so pretty. And so she, the girl smiles at her and she says, why are you laughing? What are you smiling at? She takes exception to the fact that the girl is smiling at her and says, if this woman is in the job when she comes back, I won't come here any longer. So they sack the girl again. Sad, isn't it? The girl ends up in a pub. What else is she going to do? No, 
public welfare or anything. And she's in the pub and the fiancé's in the pub because he's got this other side that he's not telling anybody about. Sees this pretty girl who's being hammered on by some other guy and rescues her. She becomes his mistress and he plays with her for a little while until he drops her because he's got to marry this other girl and he doesn't want to live his life. So she's now in a destitute place. And the young son who's in the house, he meets this girl who's in the destitute place and he rapes her and builds a relationship with her a little bit and tries to steal from his father to try and help her. But then in the end, she finds out that he's stealing money to try and help her and she says, you can't keep on doing this. And so she goes to the mother who's part of a charity and asks the mother for some help. And she tells her story to the mother and the mother doesn't believe the story. So she tells the woman, get out, we're not going to help you. So this woman goes away and drinks the detergent and kills herself. Well, that was all brought out in the wash and it's all very interesting and they're all sitting there and they all come to the reality that they've all paid into this woman's death. They've all done something because their, their meanness of spirit and their lack of generosity, they've all done something to destroy this woman's heart and life. So they're all feeling very guilty and the inspector leaves. They're worried about what's going to, how it's going to be when it hits the press and everything like that. And so the man rings up the, inspect, uh, the uh, police force to find out whether there's, somebody has died or whether there's a, an inspector there. Or, there's no inspector and no one's killed themselves. So they all go, oh, this has never happened. Oh, somebody's pranking us. You know, they sit there. Then the phone rings again just at the end of the thing. There's an inspector on the phone. This is a lady who's just died. We want to come and ask you some questions. Now, very, very interesting, thought-provoking movie. Because as the man was leaving, he inspected her and says, you will have to reflect on this for some time in some great heat, hot place with some great suffering. And then he exited the door. He played the part of God and the conviction of God in the lives of these people about their stuff. So it's interesting. You know, we hoard stuff, don't we? We sometimes think, you know, we, we get our stuff and we put it away in the bank and you've got to save it for a rainy day. You've got to keep it. The Bible tells us some stuff about hoarding stuff. The parable of a rich fool was given to, to explain that. There's a couple of guys that are going to Jesus and they said, look, there's some inheritance coming for us and this guy's not going to give me my bit of inheritance. And Jesus says, look, take heed and beware of covetousness for your life can, does not consist of the abundance of the things that you possess. And then he spoke to them and told them a story about a certain rich man who had plenty and he was building crops and they, they, they flourished and he had so much he didn't know what to do with it all. He said, you know what I'm going to do? He says, I'm going to, I'm going to pull, pull down my barns. I'm going to build greater barns and I'm going to store up my crops and my goods. And then he, then he goes and says, and then my soul, I'm going to say, you know, just sit down and relax because you got it all sorted now. You can be secure. You can eat, drink and be merry. And tomorrow you'll have more of the same because you're secure now. And God says, you fool, tonight you're going to die. And who's going to get all the stuff that you think is yours? Because God, when he gives you stuff, 
doesn't give it for you. He gives it for you to use, not to hoard. Then how do I put money in the bank of heaven? The Bible says, lay up not for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrode it all, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where those things can't get to it. So how do you put the money in heaven's bank? How do we get it there? Is it the stuff that you put in the box of the week? I tell you, some of you had a long-term deposit, determined deposit, and you're actually building up for your 50 cents or a couple of dollars every couple of months would not be building up much for you in heaven. Some of you are maybe more noble. Hey, listen, we don't need your money. Seriously, we don't. We've got money in the bank. We're not spending, haven't we, Kath? So that's, it's not that we don't need it. It's this attitude about the stuff. If you thought it was putting it in the bank and putting it in the bag, and that's how you put it in heaven, by putting it in the church, that's not what it's about because that's not what we're actually talking about. It's not about your money that you're bringing to church. It's about your stewardship of yourself and your stewardship of your stuff. It's about who it really belongs to, who you really belong to. That's the big question. Am I my, my, is it me and I am I doing my own thing or am I God's and everything that he gives me is for a purpose? Is it that we, we shouldn't have money? Or is he saying to us, you can have some money, but you've got to do the right thing with it. And Timothy says, Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Some of you will be rich. Some of you, will, you'll fall over and you'll fall into a ditch and you'll come out with a gold watch. Some of you will be just that tinny. It's like, it's just like there's a mark on you and you just know how to make money. And whatever you do in life, you'll be rich. You might lose it all, but you'll get it all back again. Some of you are just doomed to that. And I feel sorry for you. you some of you say, yeah, well, let me bring it on. I want to be that one. I want to be that one. I know people who've got so much they don't know what to do with it and they didn't have much beforehand. And it's not, that, it's not that pleasurable when you've got so much you don't know what to do with it. And you start asking the question, where can I give it? Because I don't trust that person. I don't trust this one. I'm not sure what that's... Yeah, this is a really big responsibility if God gives you too much and you don't know what to do with it all. You can only eat so much every day and it doesn't cost a whole lot to live in Australia. He says, put it in the bank. Put it in God's bank. He said, he gives you richly all things to enjoy, so it's not wrong to enjoy stuff. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can enjoy it. Don't feel guilty. Because some of us try and think, you know, well, I've got to feel guilty because I'm rich. You don't have to feel guilty because you're rich. You have to thank God every day because you're rich and say, thank you, Jesus. Because, and did you know that most of you are, the, well, all of you are in, the, in the, about the top 10% of the richest people in the world? Did you know you don't feel like it, do you? But which one of you missed a meal this week? Which one of you went hungry, didn't sleep in a bed? 
which one of you were destitute and haven't eaten for three days in a row? And it wasn't your choice. You see, you live in the top bracket of people who are the wealthiest people in the world. And that's the truth. You don't understand it, but that's the truth. It is the truth. So you're very rich and you're very wealthy. If you have money left over, um, even, even if you can't, you get, some ba- you get some Centrelink that other countries don't even give people. And you can, get a, you can get along, you know. If you want to get along, you can get along in Australia. So this is what he says to you rich people. is let him do good, that they be rich in good works. So this is how you put it in the bank. You think about what is yours and who you are and you say, how can I use this for you, God? Did you wake up at the beginning of last week and after the message that was given, faithful in little things is a big thing, and wake up on Monday morning and said, Lord Jesus, I've got little things here, I think, but you want me to be faithful. Can you tell me what you want me to do with the little things that I have? Can you tell me what I can do to bring glory to your name? Can I just offer my life to you today and say, Lord Jesus, make a difference through my... Did you wake up on Monday and offer yourself to God who owns you and say, God, do something with my life? Or did you just get about your life and do what you usually do? The implication of realizing and understanding that the ownership is is God's, that God owns everything. He owns all your stuff. He owns your car. He owns your wife. He owns your children. He owns your house. He owns your lawnmower. He owns everything that you have. And he owns your breath. He can take your breath at any instance. He owns you. The implication of that is awful. It's like you belong to him. And when he says obey, he really means obey. Because he owns you. He owns you. That's your entering into that relationship with him. Where he owns your life. Your life is for his glory. Let them do good and to be rich in good works. Ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. That they may lay hold of eternal life. He's saying... Look, just recognize everything that you have, even the breath that you breathe is a gift from God and serve others. Serve others. Would we be good if we could teach our children to do that with one another around the breakfast table? Be good if our kids understood that when it comes to time to tidy their room up be good after the dishes have been messed up to make the meal that you've eaten freely that you recognize that you are God's handmaiden or God's young man to work diligently at the sink while your mother and father sit down and rest It would be good if we thought that way. It would make a whole lot of difference to life in the family. If we were to serve one another because, no, not because we have our own life and we want to do our own thing, because our life is his and we just live to serve. What an implication for life 
If you this year decided that this year you were going to live your life abandoning yourself to God who owns you and to do the thing that he calls you to do. And that was the thing that was going to grab you this year. You were going to say, I'm this, this first lesson is God, I'm yours and you're mine. And you just, I'm just going to serve you, God, whatever it is. Clean the toilet. Okay, I'll clean the toilets. If we were that passionate, to live the implications of this out in our lives and in our relationship with others. 2 Corinthians says it nicely, and I like this passage of Scripture, not because it tells people to give money, because, you know, I never preach on giving anyway, hardly ever. And some people say I should preach more on it. But here we go. This is the more I'm going to do it for three weeks, not giving, but fact that it belongs to God and stewardship he says in verse 6 but I say this he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully it's this this cause and effect thing that you've got to understand in life that if you give a little bit and put a little bit in the ground then you're only going to get a little bit out of the ground. But if you are generous with your sowing, then you're going to have a problem when it comes to reaping because once being generous in your sowing, your bountiful supply is going to be met because the reaping is going to be great. It all depends on how much seed you put in. You put five seeds in, you'll get the five plus back. If you put 105 seeds in, you get 105 back. You know, it's about your trust about how much you can trust God in this thing. And you think, okay, let's sort of preach about the tithing and the tenth. And, that. and well, that's the Old Testament. And we, can, we say, everybody give it. No, God doesn't own your tenth. He owns the 100%, not the tenth. It's easy for me to preach the tenth because you can go away and say, oh, I'll just keep 10% of my whatever I earn from coals this week and put 10% in the plate begrudgingly because I have to. And this passage says, don't give out of a grudging heart, out of the thing that because you think it's necessary because I said there's a law that says you've got to give 10%. Listen, the law applies to the Levites and that applied to the Old Testament. It's not applying to you and I don't necessarily believe. He's got it all. He wants you to listen to him and give what he tells you. He might tell you to put 90% in and keep the 10% for yourself. And that's his prerogative. It all belongs to him. But when you start thinking that it's yours, you miss the point completely. He's saying, have a generous heart. He says, have this thing. Look, look, you purpose in your heart what you are going to give. You purpose how you're going to use the things that God has given you. So when Heike gets the control of a vehicle, she purposes in her heart how she can use the vehicle for God. And so it's not a bother for her to pick up people to bring them to home fellowship because she has a car that's been provided for her by God. She says it belongs to God. She can use it for God. And I got a house that is a lovely house and you can say, oh, that's a nice house, Mark. But listen, the house doesn't belong to me. Never did. From the very beginning, I always acknowledged God gave me the house. That's why I run home meetings and the the cook cooks meals and I cook meals and we have people coming over and, and everybody's coming through our place all the time. What's the story? Why? Because it's God's house and it's his ministry house. So that's what it's used for. 
It's not owned by me. It's owned by he. I'm not owned by me. I'm owned by he. And my life is directed by him. And when I wake up in the morning, I give my life. I say, my purpose. What is my purpose for today? What would you have me to today? Tell me. This is the wonderful blessing that God tells us. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency, that means he's able to make you get more than what you even need. So you say, oh, I don't know whether I can, I don't know whether I can put my last $10 in the pot. God says, you know, if that $10 is mine, and I tell you to put it in the pot, trust me because I know what I'm doing. This one day, put my last buck, ten bucks in the, put it in the offering. And we got home, and there was three hundred dollars shoved in the door. God met the needs, but you know, you're going to miss that completely. You're going to miss that lovely dynamic of miracles happening when you stretch out in faith. If you don't believe that you can stretch out in faith, if you don't believe that you can take risks like that, because you are not the owner, that the owner will look after you. That if you take a a foolhardy risk and, and say, I'm, you, know, you know what I'm going to do? I can't really afford it. But this week, I'm going to buy a card. I'm going I'm to buy some chocolates. I'm going to write a note. I'm going to send them to this person and tell them that I'm praying for them, that, that God loves them. I'm going to encourage them. And it's going to cost me all the 20 bucks. And I can't afford that. I, my cigarettes cost. <sighs> Seriously. If you abandon yourself for God, you will see that what you sow, you will reap bountifully. You just have to believe. And some of you don't know that because you think you've got to control it all. And because you think you've got to control it, you'll always be struggling. And then if you do get wealthy, you won't be controlling it. It will be controlling you. And you will suffer. Is that God telling him to switch it off? I've got one more yet. It says there in, in verse uh, 9, as it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. How may he, now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you be enriched in everything, in all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. You know, I can't, I can't tell you to do this if you don't believe this. Because in doing it, if you don't believe it, you will set yourself into a prison that hurts you. This has to be brought out in your life with simple steps of faith. Give it away the little bit and see God return it more. Give away a bigger bit and see God return it more. I can't tell you that God is faithful to do everything for you that you ask if you don't start to exercise it. At the beginning of my life, I exercised this. At the beginning of my life, I would not 
depend on anybody, just depended on God. And I, I could tell you story after story after story where God came through for me, came through for me. But it was difficult because you had to live with the strain. You had to live with the strain of not knowing where it's going to come. Just be completely abandoned to the owner. But I wouldn't change it at all now because I'm reaping now. I've sown and now it's my time to reap and I'm reaping now. And I don't need anything from you. You don't pay me anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't come from you. This is the point. God is the owner. God is the supplier. And God is the one who, who meets my need. And that's not between me and you and how much I can get out of the offering. It's, it's nothing. It's about me and God and how much I trust him. And I trust him. He has never let me fail. But you can't know that until you try that. Until you start sowing, until you start reaping. You can't know that until you put yourself out there and say, I'm going to believe you, Jesus. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You have to do it. Before you can see the increase, you have to do the sowing. And that might mean your time. That may mean your energy. That may mean your products. That may mean your whatever, your money. It's your life. You have to sow your life before you can reap anything. A lot of you sit back and say, oh, I want something from God. I wish God would show himself to me. He says, get out and die. Get yourself out there and minister to something. Then that will come for you. First, first Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And the thing I like about the being a royal part of the royal priesthood He's telling everybody in the church, every believer, that a royal priesthood. The wonderful thing about priesthood is they could not own anything. Priest, priest, Levites couldn't, weren't allowed to own anything. They didn't have any land. The Lord was their possession. And that's what he's called us. A royal priesthood. Our only possession here on earth is God. Everything is on loan. And he's watching how we use it all. So if you're not convinced, if you're looking at me and saying, oh, yes, 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 yes. Test, test this one out. In a few verses later, he says, he said to the Pharisees who were staying there and standing there and sort of debating with him about this giving, about being a good steward. He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. One of the things that God knows, he knows how much the, the dollar has got you. He knows how much you are in control of your life. He knows your heart. Then he says, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination before God. You know, you think about that. How important this to get it, that special brand name. I mean, you're going to put some real pressure on mum and dad until they get that t-shirt with that brand name on it. The fact that you can buy that in Kmart for $2 or $3, and the fact that you have to get it from a special shop with a special writing on it for 40 to $50, doesn't matter. The most important thing for you is that it's highly esteemed amongst your friends and you want to wear somebody else's brand. And what God says about that, what is highly esteemed among people, he hates it. He hates it. Now, it's quiet in here. It's difficult to hear these things. 
But I don't want to be part of a church that doesn't ask the questions. Because if we don't ask the questions that we need to ask in life, we won't do what we need to do in life. And then we can all comfortably go to hell. That's not a good option. The Bible says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So he, he actually tells us that you've got to do something about what you know. So if you ask the big question, who do I belong to and who, and who owns the stuff? Then, and the answer comes back to you and it says, well, you belong to me and I own all your stuff. Then the implication is then you are going to be held accountable for yourself, for your own life and the stuff that you have. That's the implication. That would make me think a little bit because on, the, on Judgment Day, I don't want to stand up in front of him and say, you know, I know you gave me some stuff, but you know what? I wasted it and squandered it because I just wanted it for myself. It's not a good look. And I know you're saved by grace and not through works. I know that you're going to get to heaven because Jesus loves you, but it's not a good look. There's a better way about it then today think about it engage your mind to think about this what can I do this week to demonstrate that I understand that all my stuff belongs to God what can I do this week to demonstrate that I understand that my life and all my stuff belongs to God. And after you've thought about it, do it. Do it. Come back next week with a heart that says, you know what, this week I encountered the big question I asked God to show me what I could do about it. He spoke to me and I did it. And that's kind of groovy. I like that. Amen? You might have to start doing something that you've never done before. You might have to modify your behavior because you've got to change what you're doing. You might have to act upon this now. You've thought about it, but you never acted upon it. You might have to stop doing something that you're doing, which is wasteful. You might have to help somebody with something. Whatever you do, you're going to have to smash this into your life to make your life change because it makes a difference in the end. Amen? Let's stand up. I want you to bow your heads. When we come to God, God doesn't fool around. I mean, I, I read the Old Testament, and, and I am, oh, I struggle with the, with the Old Testament. We've been reading through it, and I see, you know, look at Paul. Look at Saul and he's rejected from the kingship because he doesn't do what God has asked him to do. 
Just as simple as that. God just rejects. He's tough. God is tough, 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 tough. Really tough. He's loving, 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 and long-suffering, and long-suffering, and long-suffering, and gracious, and gracious, and gracious. And he's tough, and tough, and tough. He's all of those. He's, the severity of God is horrible, and the grace of God is, 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 is just amazing. But friends, you've got to encounter God. You've got to encounter him in such a way that you recognize that what we talk today is real and true and it will make a difference to you and how you behave. And I want you to commit yourself, commit yourself to him. Abandon yourself to him. And Jesus, I'm giving myself to you. I'm letting you have it all. I'm recognizing God. You take me. I can't, I want to, you know, do what you will with me, Lord Jesus. Help me to obey in Jesus' name. You're ready to make that sort of commitment. I want you to raise your hand and put it on your heart, just like that. Jesus, I give myself to you. Fresh today. In a way that recognizes that you are the owner of my life and the owner of all of my stuff. Jesus, use me up and use it up for your glory so that at the end of my life there is nothing left but work done for you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.